The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here's Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the second stage. This is uh, kind of a big big day. Jeff is uh, out on assignment, as he likes to say, so I'm, uh, I'm solo, so get ready for some uh, wandering uh, ADD-oriented rant, but it's all going to be very, very valuable, so uh, uh, keep all that in mind. And also, I'd strongly, strongly encourage anybody out there that wants one of our books on our, on our website to please reach out to me, because I'm trying to kind of lead the, uh, uh, try to get more inbound inquiries this call, or this show, uh, while Jeff's not on the, on the line so that, uh, you know, I have some, uh, some bragging rights. So please, if you wouldn't mind, uh, reach out to the second stage at evolutioncp.com and ask me any and all questions you'd like to. Uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of put that challenge out there. And, and if you get on our website and ask for any one of the books out there, I'll, uh, I'll deliver to you. Maybe up to the first 10 people just to kind of set an early record in the, in the group. But hey, welcome to the second stage. Obviously, it's a forum that we hope that, uh, that uh, you know, kind of continues that entrepreneurial um, uh, resources and discussions and so forth, and uh, we have a an absolute fantastic guest. It's actually it's a repeat guest, um, a guy named Jeff uh, Jeff DeGraff, and Jeff is a uh, entrepreneur, advisor, uh, uh, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, resource. Um, he got on and talked to Jeff uh, a little over a year ago, so August of 2014. So I encourage you to to listen to that show as well. And I uh, wish I had actually written that down. That would make it a lot easier. Uh, it was actually called um, um, How to Jumpstart Innov- Innovation Teams. And so uh, that's a, um, a, uh, a show you should reach out and listen to. And, and I actually listened to it in advance of this show. So feel uh, it, was, it really was informative. And I can't wait to, to meet Jeff uh, on the phone here. Last week, we um, were uh, blessed to, uh, to talk to Mark Langford, who um, has a transformational career consultant, author, and motivational speaker. He had a book, Thank God It's Wednesday, The Business Professional's Guide to Realizing Purpose, Passion, and Work-Life Balance. And uh, Thank God It's Wednesday teaches how your professional purpose uh, is at the intersection of how you, what, what you love to do, what you do well, what the world needs and what you can get paid for. So, you know, kind of picture those, uh, those four intersecting circles. And then the eight laws uh, detailed in, uh, thank God it's Wednesday, are uh, vibration, that everyone, that everything is energy and connected, attraction, that like energizes attract, that like energies attract, sorry, learn how to read a little better, uh, cause and effect, that everything happens for a reason, polarity, that, oppos- that, that opposites create contrast and balance, 
transmutation, that all energy is transformable, uh, gestation, that there is a, a natural agenda to the universe, rhythm, that cycle creates renewable, renewal and change, and relativity. The comparison gives uh, rise to experience and understanding. And you can reach um, Mark at the Corp Shaman, T H E C O R P S H A M A N, on Twitter or at his website, www. Uh, tgiw.com so um, I uh, um, um, I hear that uh, um, I was thinking Jeff was on the line but I guess he's not so uh, I'll uh, I do want to tell you I was uh, I got also got was uh, thrilled to travel and uh, I get to do this probably once a year or so travel to um, Dallas uh, to visit the to visit small giants and uh, we've had Bo Burlingham on the on the show before author of the book small giants and many many wonderful ones most re- recently finished big and just the the wonderful people he has down there uh, and the wonderful people that are members of small giants and, and just the fact that they are so happy heavily focused on creating wonderful cultures and creating businesses that, you know, that, that really are wonderful places to work are just fantastic. So anybody out there that's running a small business or likes working with small business that, uh, you know, to trying to create something bigger, please uh, look into them, smallgiants.org. Uh, in uh, the, the, the person, the main resource there is a gentleman named Glenn Burr. And Glenn can be reached at Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at smallgiants.org. And uh, one of the one the most wonderful things that they do as part of Small Giants is that they have what they call a passport. And passport is where you get a real in-depth view, a behind-the-scenes view of, of a small uh, business that has kind of taken some of these principles and really lives lives by their six uh, – Six values described in when uh, when Bo was on the was Bo's on the show and uh, I was uh, lucky enough to go uh, uh, walk through and kind of see the behind the scenes uh, view of a company called Callemall that does calling services for all sorts of organizations and uh, the founders down there uh, Brad Herman and Hi Wen uh, just literally opened up their shop for the, some of the small giants and, and introduced us to their employees. So it really was a, an absolute neat, fun uh, environment. And again, if you if you like seeing that stuff, if you like seeing um, uh, getting exposed to how other people are, are growing their business and attracting, you know, great talent and so forth, I encourage you to, you know, to, to, to uh, look into the small giants organization. They've been, they've been absolutely fantastic to evolution and a wonderful, wonderful group of people. We uh, today's show, which I'm, I mentioned earlier, I'm really excited about. It. It's going to focus heavily on advisory boards. There's uh, this discussion of what's of an advisory board, what's a board of director, and if you think about the evolution five pillars, which you know, as anyone who's listening to the show knows, I just you know can't get enough of and believe absolutely wholeheartedly. And uh, fundamentally, we believe that if you get the five five fundamental things in place, your business will be able to. You'll, you'll be able to get about where you on your business and, and in the business. That's where you truly can find that greater purpose and, and value. And so if you go through them just quickly, it, you know, great financial statements. It's a, a, a plan to something that everybody's kind of in line with. It's finding the people to, to execute that plan. And it's uh, creating a culture of transparency and a culture of accountability. Yeah, we've been at this for a long time. Uh, and it's amazing because I think when we first started putting pillars together, the um, – uh, I figured the hardest one to be would be kind of transparency and accountability. And as it turns out, we found that the hardest to do is, you know, really creating those great financial statements. And then jumping to the third one is finding the right people uh, because these small organizations really can't, uh, uh, can't afford, you know, can't, can't 
to organize this talent. We uh, look forward to having Jeff uh, kind of explain to us how we can potentially do that. So, um, really, uh, so I'm going to take a break here and, uh, and, and jump over and look forward to having him back very quickly here on the second stage. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Thank you. Uh, sorry about the technical difficulties, everybody. Uh, uh, I have with me uh, Jeff DeGraff, and uh, Jeff is, uh, is going to talk to us about creating advisory boards and, of, of innovators uh, and an important, ele- an important element of great business. Uh, many overlook is assembling a diverse advisory board uh, committed to developing your organization and exchanging knowledge. The right people bring innov- innovative ideas, create opportunities, and help a company move forward faster towards its stated objectives. 
um, or uh, ones they didn't even believe were possible. In fact, having the right people uh, involved can be more important than having capital because good ideas and good companies can attract low-cost capital. And it is important to note that, adv- that an advisory board is different than a uh, board of directors focused solely on governance. Uh, the advisory uh, members bring experience and views not found within the business and who are prepared to challenge the expectations, capabilities, and vision of the organization. We're thrilled to welcome back Jeff DeGraff, the Dean of Innovation, to help us explore the topic in depth, providing suggestions for suggestions for attracting those individuals that will push your organizations to new heights. Jeff, thank you once again for joining us uh, on, the, um, on, the, on the second stage. Thanks for having me. I, uh, did, uh, I did go back and listen uh, this afternoon to, um, to the, the interview you, t- you had with Jeff, and I, I, I tell you, I, there was, uh, I took so many notes, I actually forgot to actually <laughs> kind of uh, go, you know, uh, prepare, but I, I could talk to you a lot about that, but I, that's not what I want to do. I, I, I got to tell you, I was sharing right at the end of the first segment how it, 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 you know, when we when we work on these little companies and we have these five fundamental things that we, you know, we just keep preaching to the entrepreneurs, if you get these things you know, taken care of, things will take care of themselves. Um, you know, the, the, out of the five things that we originally thought would be easy to do, um, the, the two things that I thought would be easier are turning out to be the hardest. And one is really finding the people to be, to be you know, the, 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 the people to be innovative and the people to really kind of push the teams. And I well, would love to talk to you about how you've been able to figure out how to do that, especially with the smaller companies. Well, you know, talent is everything. And, what, and, and they, the challenge these days for smaller companies is that, uh, you know, we had this great renaissance in the, in the late 1990s for smaller companies and people going out on their own. And then what happened is, of course, the larger companies, a lot of the companies I work with, sort of figured that out and, uh, and, and uh, adjusted their game plan for talent management to kind of cherry pick. But the good news is there's enough talent out there for everybody. And with a little bit of creativity and a little bit of imagination and maybe a few adjustments, there's a real possibility that small companies can actually get uh, terrific talent. And one of the ways to do that is not just through hiring, but through advisory. And I think the, the, one of the, the big things that people overlook uh, almost all the time are innovation advisory boards. And, and I had a really wonderful uh, experience when I started out. I don't know if your listeners remember from the last time, but I was one of the original uh, executives that, uh, that took this small company, Domino's Pizza, into this very large company. And what that allowed me to do, and it was very weird because I was a very young man. I had a Ph.D. in artificial intelligence. I was the first guy like that they'd ever hired. And one of the things that happened that when I was very young was I got to be on the advisory board at Apple. And this is when Steve Jobs is being pushed out. So one of the things I learned really early on and really from kind of the master, if you will, <clears throat> is how to assemble a group of people that are really deep domain experts but have very different ideas, very diverse ideas, and how to take that and create purposeful, constructive conflict that really produces the kind of hybrid, radical, and breakthrough ideas that companies are looking for. And, and, and maybe step back a minute and, we, and talk about and, um, the difference between, like, in your mind, an advisory board of innovators uh, or, you know, or a board of directors. Yeah, well, a board of directors is basically designed for really three things. It's designed for governance. A board of directors represents the shareholders of the company. Two, 
it almost always represents access, and usually that's access to things like capital, access to markets uh, that are going to be important for branding, access to other companies where you're going to want to do mergers and acquisition. And finally, they represent the fiduciary responsibilities of the organization, making sure that people are not violating government rules and people don't go to prison, right? That's what, that's what uh, a board of directors is supposed to do, and there's a lot of laws around that. And there's also a lot of challenges with boards of directors these days in terms of <clears throat> do they really represent uh, the shareholders, but that's a different issue. Advisory boards are a very different animal. Advisory boards are designed really for three very different reasons. One is to give you a line of sight to maybe something that you wouldn't have gotten a line of sight, emerging technologies, an emerging market, a different way of doing things. Two, they're there to really help you uh, diversify the gene pool. So looking at very different ways of acquiring talent, look at very different ways of, of, um, uh, of uh, solving problems, kind of ideating, and finally to challenge the dominant logic of the organization to basically upset the organization, which has a tendency to fall into these very compliant uh, ways of doing things, the sort of checklisting mentality, the sort of classic, you know, tight portfolio stage, uh, stage gating mentality that really uh, makes a corporation highly efficient, but in the process takes away its growth engine. When, when, when you think of, you know, uh, uh, and again, uh, you know, our audience is mostly smaller, uh, yep. smaller uh, companies. So when you think of an advisory board for a smaller company, I mean, obviously, it's it's amazing to me how much harder it is than I would have ever thought it was going to be. So to, to you know, to 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 put these things together. When when you when, when if so if you if you were a small business owner and, and really wanted to grow, really wanted to innovate, how do you start finding those people? Well, one, I, I, have a, I have a point of view about the four sort of versions of advisors that you want. And so where you're going to find these advisors are very different. So the first, the first type of advisor you really want is somebody who really represents your customer and the community that you belong to. And so this could be uh, a customer that doesn't represent your, you know, the, the basic product or service that you offer, the basic solution, but represents kind of the emerging product or service that you want to offer. So, for example, this might be a younger person. It might be a millennial who represents, uh, you know, a very different type of, of interest. And that person, you might find that kind of person at uh, your local community arts center. You might find that person uh, somewhere in local city government or municipal government who's kind of a, uh, you know, a somebody who's 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 represents maybe interests that aren't always represented in these meetings and you 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 want that group to be very interested in in uh in trying to bring uh, the, the consensus of the community of the customers together. And then if you look at the opposite end of that, you probably want to look at somebody who really represents investors and what competitors are likely to do. And these are going to be business people who have already been entrepreneurs, who you know maybe have, have taken their company, as, a, as you, the title of your program, the second stage of taking their company, maybe to one stage in front of where your company is. So if you're you know, if you're sitting on the difference between a um, million dollars and two million, maybe this the person has made two million or whatever those levels are, the phases for your company. And what you want to do with those first two points of view is you want to, in a sense, partner them 
Because what you're really trying to do is produce constructive conflict, not alignment. Remember, we're trying to drive innovation. And those, what we want are those two groups of people to be working out how do we make money, get a business plan going, get our goals going in a way that makes sense, but also uh, engaging the community in maybe a longer-term uh, longer uh, view or a longer-term vision. And this is the first issue. It's the issue of how long or the horizon a small company has. It's the issue of how fast we want to innovate. Now, the second set of pairs, you probably want somebody who's, who's going to represent regulations and standards and things like that. And that could be somebody who comes from government, but maybe in a different uh, vein. could be somebody who uh, comes from the bank that you're uh, getting capital from. It could be somebody who's basically looking at what the rules for compliance are. Because remember, even though we're talking about innovation, if you build something that's in violation of the law or in violation of standards or really can't be manufactured or can't be, op- be operational, you're probably going to have a problem. And then the final one is the harder one, which is the revolutionary or the, the visionary person. Now, the wonderful thing is every community has in it, you know, the artist or the person who maybe works at the university in a think tank or in an idea lab, maybe the person who works for uh, a company down the road that's a little more radical than yours, maybe they're in the fashion industry, maybe they're a biotech industry, and you want to put that person in your company, which is, which is often very upsetting to small business people because they're very disruptive, right? Sure. And you want to partner that person with the person who's going to make uh, the rules work. And the reason, again, is we're trying to create constructive conflict to build hybrids. So the first, the first connection, the community person and the, and, in the bay, and the person who's the entrepreneur at the next level is about how fast you want to go. You want to, you want to make sure you're going fast but are sustainable. The second connection, the connection between that sort of crazy person, that, ought to, that uh, idea person, and let's say the banker, is so that you get the magnitude of your innovation right. So everybody who's listening should think about this. If you're an entrepreneur, the two questions you have to answer, how much and how fast, how much and how fast do you want? But in any case, this board is supposed to be pushing you along. So, when, how do you? So, is a is a is a person that that sees a that has seen a good boards work and or in bad boards work? How do you create the conflict? Um, is it is it if you get the right people, they create the conflict, or do you actually have to do something to get them? Kind of, That's a uh, great question. There's kind of two answers to that. And I have to give you the first answer, which I'm a terrible hypocrite about, but it's really what I believe. I just really think if you get these four types together and you get high-quality people, usually they know how to interact with each other uh, or exhibit what's often referred to as self-organizing behavior. So usually people who are, who are, uh, who are more developed, if you will, know how to interact. Now, there's always the problem, there's always the problem child, and they come in all four versions. So, so the problem child who is the community person wants everybody to love him, right? So the notion is yeah. it becomes a country club. The problem child who is the sort of the entrepreneur who is the stage in front of you has the problem of they want to turn it into a sweatshop and they compete over everything. So they try and dominate the problem child is kind of the banker. They, they want to they follow every rule and they create static bureaucracies. And the problem child who is kind of this, uh, this uh, idea person, this kind of visionary person, is that uh, they're, they're idea-aholics and create chaos everywhere. But usually, usually if they're more developed people, and what I mean by developed is mature, right? And you don't have to be yeah. old to be mature. You can be a mature young person. <laughs> 
But the notion is, usually if they're mature, they know how to interact in a, in a, in a reasonably professional way. Now, that's the first way. Now, the second, the second way is there are some uh, leaders in your organization, in, these, in everyone's organization, who are basically ambassadors or emissaries. They have the ability to talk to all these different types of advisors, and they have the ability to kind of integrate and translate. Uh, it usually isn't the entrepreneur. It's usually not the person who started the company. I know I don't have those skills. But usually there's somebody in your organization who does, and that's a good person to facilitate that advisory board meeting. Would, would you ever, in a smaller company, would you, would you have somebody um, facilitate that? Or, 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 I mean, if you were a little bit worried about it, or, or would you, um, or do you kind of let the CEO or one of the, or the kind of the president or COO, um, or, or, they, or they're kind of in a spot where they have to, to, have to facilitate it? I don't, I don't think, I, one of the challenges of putting the CEO in the room, particularly in a small business, is everybody defers to them. So in a sense... You know, what you want is the CEO to have a line of sight to listen to it, but you really don't want them to be an active participant. If you're going to bring in an outside facilitator, my, my big caution to everyone is that usually represents some talent that needs to be developed in the organization. So if you bring in an outsider, that's fine, but bring them in with the notion that somebody inside your organization will be apprenticed and learn how to do this. I'm a big believer that what organizations, their small organizations really miss is what competencies they need to have and which competencies they can get advisory uh, help with or which competencies they can outsource. Oh, that's great. I, I got a, I got a smile though, as, uh, as uh, both Jeff and I are former bankers along a hundred to hundred years ago, the concept of, uh, and uh, uh, all my banker friends out there, please uh, take this with, uh, with the, all the most respect, but the concept of having a banker on one of our boards, which just sounds, uh, it just sounds, uh, like a crazy idea because they, they tend to, you know, it's like they move a little slower than, uh, you know, because of all the, the obvious reasons than, than what uh, the other three groups would, I assume. Well, I, can, I, uh, can I turn this around on you just for a minute? Yeah. I'm a yeah, big believer it. in always engaging your critics. Always. <laughs> because if you don't, they become passive aggressive. So you got to bring the no, no, no guy out. And the way you do that, and this is a really important hint to your listeners here. The worst thing you can do is let somebody go underground. And what happens with people who are critics, people who are not trying to help you innovate, is they stay in a reactionary position. And what I mean by that is they'll tell you what's wrong with all your ideas. And this is an old professor's trick, right? And what you do, imagine you're doing a case. And everybody tells you what's wrong with the person in the case until you let the room get, a, get in a, to an entire lather. And then you know what you say? You point at that first student and you say, that's a good point. What would you do? And at that point, you've called the person out. And the person either has one of three choices. They either have a better idea than you do, in which case, let's take the banker, for example. The banker's helped you move forward. The second case is that the person doesn't have a better idea, in which now they are in a reactionary position and you chase them for a while. The only other thing that they can do is they can become silent. And if they become silent, then what you have to do with the people in your group, because silence is never consent. Silence in the law is consent, right? But silence in (laughs) advisory boards is dissent. So what you have to do at that point is triangulate with other members of your group to sort of ferret them out. So this is a really important part that you're making here, but I'm a big believer that the no, no, no guys, the critics that everyone's afraid of, and boy, there's a lot of research that young people in particular hate the critics, right? And they do everything to avoid them. The critics have to be called out because they will eventually move against you if you don't engage them. 
No, that's great. It's funny when you said that, I was picturing a banker, but the more you talked, I'm thinking to myself, you know, one of the things that we do like to do is if we have a, you know, particular larger investor that's in the fund that get that goes grows increasingly critical about a specific deal, uh, we love to invite them to the to the advisory board meetings because it's you, you know, it's, got it's like, it. And it's funny how you say that because I actually was just we just we we've done that a couple times recently and it's amazing how they walk out and go wow they really are doing all the things yeah. that I would hope they would do it's just <laughs> well not because quite as and let's be fair hope. to the banker let's be fair right the banker's job is the no 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 guy he's the goal right he's the he's the keep he's the guy supposed to keep the ball out of the net right so so yeah, part of it awesome. is. The reason you put them in the room is innovation is not just about interesting ideas. I'm, I'm kind of fed up with that whole sort of mantra of, oh, I have a great idea. You know, I've been in half of the Fortune 500 companies in my career at the, at the C-level. And, you know, great ideas are a dime a dozen. Try building one. It takes money, guns, and lawyers to build anything worthwhile. <laughs> and, and if you're an entrepreneur, you know that's true. So you got to have the money in the room, and you got to have the lawyer in the room or whatever so you can actually build something of, of value, something that you can actually uh, you have something to show for all your hard work. That's great. Well, I, uh, we, we're going to take a quick break here, um, I, um, and we'll come back. I, I'm, I'm dying to have you kind of – I'm going to hopefully share some, some challenges that we've had building boards. Some building boards, we've had some you know, great boards, and we've had some that just really don't seem to get traction, and maybe, uh, and maybe you can help me kind of think that through like you did my, uh, my banker friends. But uh, um, please hang with us, and we'll be back in a couple, uh, couple minutes with the second stage. Okay. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it and profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to The Second Stage. This is our show, but it's a forum, so please, please, please reach out and ask us any questions. And, uh, and we, we're trying to build a community here of uh, people out there looking to help entrepreneurs. So uh, you can reach us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com or uh, connect with us on Twitter um, at evolution underscore CP. Um, or join us discussion using hashtag uh, the second stage, T-H-E, number 2-N-D, stage. Uh, we are back uh, with Jeff DeGraff. And actually, Jeff, when we were, on the, when we were uh, at the break, I was moaning and crying like I, like I love to do about how hard it is to, uh, you know, to find talent. And you, and you basically said, talent is hard. And uh, maybe uh, I hate to you know, kind of ask you to replay that, but maybe just kind of go back. And it, it's, it, this isn't an easy task. No, in fact, if, think about it this way. Think about how, how do you develop a great doctor? I want you to think about that for a minute. Let's say your doctor is a really great doctor. How do you get to be or she get to be a great doctor? The answer is simple. See one, do one, teach one. See one, do one, teach one, experientially. So a doctor comes in, he goes to medical school. Okay, he went to a good school, but he doesn't know anything yet about being a doctor. And you've got to spend three or four years, you know, teaching him about gross anatomy and following a physician around. Then they become a resident. We refer to this here at the University of Michigan as combat education, sort of tongue-in-cheek, if you know what I mean. So, you know, you're up for 48 hours, and you delivered three babies, and you sewed two people up, and maybe you lost somebody in the operating table, right? It's very traumatic, but you're learning by doing all of this work, and then eventually you've been a physician for 20 years. You become the attending physician, and you go back, and you teach medical students. Now, the point is, It's easy to build a process, and that's what everybody loves to do. They build these turnkey processes, and it's sort of like, think about it like they're the guys who always draw up football plays but don't have any players that can actually run the plays, right? So the notion is it takes a long time to develop real talent, and the problem with entrepreneurs is they don't really want to take the time to do that. Or they love to hearken back to the old days when everybody was willing to be apprenticed. Well, you know, to your listeners, I tell you what an old uh, army general told me years ago. You don't fight with the army you want. You fight with the army you have, right? So the notion is, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, job one isn't strategy or IP or the process you're building. Job one is talent. And that's not something that you can do at the flip of a switch. Um, in my lab here in Ann Arbor, the Innovatrium, the one in Ann Arbor, not the one in Atlanta, but the one up here, uh, for years Google hired people in my lab here. You know, Larry Page was one of our kids here at Michigan. And um, awesome. interestingly enough, it, I uh, went in one day because I didn't, I didn't really keep track of how long these people were interviewing, but it was probably two or three times I came in in a two or three week period of time. And I finally stopped the HR person and I said, how long are you taking to interview a person to go work at Google? And she said, 40 hours. We do 40 hours worth of interviews. 
to hire a person at Google. Well, what happens is these people come to me all the time from these big companies and go, how come Google's got the best people? Well, they put the time in to get them. Now, here's the thing that your entrepreneurs should hear. Entrepreneurs have a better line of sight to good people because they know people in the community. They have the ability to apprentice those people over time in a much better way than a large multinational will. So the notion is talent is hard, but I think entrepreneurs are in a better position to develop talent. The biggest challenge for entrepreneurs is not developing talent. It's, it's once talent is developed, hanging on to it. So this becomes a question of how, <laughs> you know, how negotiable are you? So when you develop that good person, you know, are they going to go off to a much larger firm or are you going to make it worth their while to stay in the firm that you have? Let's talk, and, 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 um, and I would love, love to talk. You had mentioned at break also the, the book Think and Grow Rich is one that I actually just finished, and it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's one you would suggest, obviously, for entrepreneurs to, to read when, they, when they're thinking through some of this stuff. Um, I, uh, you know, and talk about um, you know, uh, just you know, creating uh, leadership groups of, you know, and, uh, and whatnot. I don't know if you want to uh, – you have any Yeah, the thing, the thing about on? the book, what I love about the book is it was written in 1934, and it came from a series of interviews Napoleon Hill had done <clears throat> with um, 500, you know, these, these uh, lions of industry during the robber bearing period of time. And Andrew Carnegie had basically written letters for Napoleon Hill. And so the biggest part of the book is how hard it is to develop talent, to connect with talent, and how it is the central and fundamental enterprise of an entrepreneur. And so the point I'm trying to make is, you know, let's, it's almost 100 years old. The same issue is the, is the issue we have today. And if we went back from Napoleon Hill 100 years, we'd see it again. Talent is always going to be an issue because, it's, because the soft factor is the X factor. That's how you make money. It's, it, it, and let me ask you another question. I, we haven't talked about this, I swear, listeners, but um, we, when, you know, and this is some pushback we get with some of our CEOs when we start saying, you know, we talk about this advisory board. And just, to, just for a quick aside, um, we at Evolution, in our, in our normal deals, the board of directors is, are people from Evolution and people from the management team, and we don't tend to include outsiders in the director group because uh, we don't really meet unless we have to make a big decision on something. But we really look to the board of advisors about, you know, how, you know looking forward, looking forward, and, and, you know, kind of challenging the team on the plan and so forth. Um, but we always get pushed back on in- – including people that, you know, the things that they're doing are it's so wonderfully confidential and so innovative that, that you know, that everybody in the world will, will steal it. Um, do you have a, do you have a, some advice for entrepreneurs that feel that about their business? Well, I think there's, you're, you're raising two questions and they're, they're not really the same question. Let me see if I can take them one at a time. The first thing is why boards don't make time to actually do advisory work, why they do mostly governance work. Well, you know, task pursuit is an opium. We all do it. We come in in the morning, we say, here are the five things I'm going to do with my life today. Boom, boom, boom. And then we wake up 20 years later and go, you know, I really wanted to build a business or I wanted to do this, write a book or I wanted to, I wanted to do something different. Well, the first thing is you didn't make any room for it in your life. You didn't make any room for it. I get, I've written, I think, eight books. And people tell me all the time, how do you write a book? Step one, what are you willing to give up to write a book? And when you ask that question, people are dumbfounded. What do you mean, what am I willing to give up? Well, are you not going to go to the gym at night? Are you not going to be part of the PTA? Because if you're going to do anything that's really creative, you have to have time to do it. It makes perfect sense. So the first thing is advisory boards, small entrepreneurs, because they're chasing task pursuit, never make time for it until they get a crisis, until 09 comes and everything blows up. 
Then all of a sudden we need a new way. But here's the point. You don't have any competency developed by that point. You don't know anybody. You have not made provision up to that point for what's going to happen next. Now, that's the first piece. The second piece about confidentiality, about, about um, information, I kind of have a cynical point of view about this for whatever it's worth. And that is inevitably, because remember, I see hundreds of these things every month, right? Yep. Inevitably, your great idea is the same idea that I saw last month in three other companies. And even though you've done diligence and you've done a trademark search and you've done a basic patent search, the idea is is uh, not nearly as novel as you think it is, unless the people who are listening are into an extreme end of biotech or some kind of material science. And typically, those are not companies of 100 people. Those are companies of 1,000 people and, you know, $100 million in venture capital. So usually, a startup has an idea. It's a novel idea, but it's not as novel as they think it is. The issue is, how you articulate that idea, how you operationalize that idea, and how you go to market. That's where that idea becomes forceful and valuable. So what I would typically do is I would never, I would simply ask myself this very simple question. I would never share an idea with a person I didn't trust, right? You can can sign every document in the whole world, right? And here's going to be the problem. And you look at the whole history of innovation. If I sign a document, think about, think about the founding of CBS uh, radio. You know, it was, it was founded by um, uh, Joseph Paley. Well, what's interesting is when you start looking at the early patent wars, what these guys do is they basically steal patents from smaller companies and they tie them up in litigation until the patent elapses. And they still do this to this day. David Smirnoff did it. They, people do this all the time. So if you're a small company and you have an idea, even protecting it with intellectual property isn't really all that helpful. The notion is you only want to be sharing the idea with people who you trust. And then the second piece is they have to have some skin in the game. They have to have a reason to keep that, that idea confidential, right? So, it's, yeah. so, it's they, so that they're not going to run off and tell everybody about the idea. But in the age of social media, in the age of uh, ubiquitous telecommunication, the whole notion that somebody's got a new idea that uh, no one's thought of, I think that's a, that's a pretty hard sell for somebody who's been in the business as long as I have. Well, and Jeff, I, honestly, you know, Jeff and I get to see, uh, Jeff Kalik, my partner, and I get, you know, we probably see four or 500 inbound you know, ideas a, a year. And, you know, you know, a lot of these companies are three, four, five million in revenue. And, and they're not, you know, they're not, you know, creating the next uh, drug or they're not creating whatever. And, and we literally, you know, it, it's, it's, look, the only, you know, it, you're in a spot where it's about execution. It's about growth. It's about, you know, and there's very little anybody can steal and you know, steal from you. And it's just, it's, I mean, you know, obviously, they, you know, there's the, there's, there's probably some financials, there's probably some people, there's probably, you know, but, uh, you know, if you got the right culture, a lot of that stuff can, can stick around. But it's, it's amazing how often we get pushed back on that when it comes to creating a board, uh, you know, and kind of sharing a lot more with the board. Talk to me briefly, and again, I'm just kind of throwing some problems that we've had. Um, you know, you 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 you're out there, and you're you know, and you're and you've created time to to to, to find a board, and, and you bring somebody in, and they're and you know, do you see a downside of having them? You know, they say that they're pretty active for 
uh, a short period of time, you know, uh, six months, nine months, or 12 months. I mean, do you see turnover in, in these boards? T- talk to me yeah, about and that. Yeah, I, I think advisory boards, it's great to have turnover. Um, let me give just a couple stories about this. What, you should think of an advisory board like a sports team, where you platoon players in and off of your board, depending upon what you're trying to do. So in a sense, you have to have a pretty good Rolodex. Who do you want? Who do you want to be working on this problem? And this, this incidentally, is a huge issue with, with uh, small businesses. You have to know who knows, you know, who to listen to for different things. So, I, you know, I get a call. I got a call the other day from the New York Times. They wanted to talk to me about monetary policy. Well, I'm not a world authority on that. I could probably speak to it, but I'm not a world authority. So half of what you have to do is to say, no, I'm not that guy. Here's the guys to call, right? So when you start talking to people about being on your board, you need to listen to different people at different times. So that really imaginative person is who you listen to at the beginning of the project. But when you're trying to get capitalization for it and you're trying to get it operational, I stop listening to him. He's not the right person, right? That's not his strength. So I would say, I would say so that's the first thing. But the second thing that I would do with advisory boards, I, I worked on a project. We'll, I, we'll get into the company, but your listeners will know. It's one of the largest beverage producers in the world. And their whole thing was they kept trying to come up with new beverages. This is going back to the 90s, early 2000s. And what happened was the people inside of the company are all protecting their interests, which is what happens. They're trying to create efficiency. They're trying to elaborate the products and services that they've got. So what we did was we had the people internally pick what they thought the winning products and services were. And then we had a board of advisory board, an innovation advisory board from outside, do the the same thing in a blind way. So the two groups didn't see each other. And then we went to market tests. And the outside group outperformed the inside group four to one. They killed them. And the notion was sometimes you're just too close to it. And there's always what's called attribute error. It's a fancy uh, term, but it means that what happens is the same logic and dominant logic that helped you create the business, once you're in the middle of the business, you've figured out how to run everything really, really effectively and efficiently. But when it comes time to try and do something really different, you're probably the worst person to make that call. You probably want outside people with a different point of view. It doesn't mean you have to do what they say, but you probably want to you know, walk a mile in their moccasins, as we used to say. You probably want to listen to the advice that they're giving you. All right. Moving on to the next big hot topic we've had is pay. Um, you know, some. You know, we, we've we've been able to if the if the great resource is a good friend of ours or a good, or, or a good friend of the CEOs or a good friend of, of of the industry or something, we've been able to get them for you know, to get them to show you know, to show up for a day and really or kind of a, a long afternoon and, and give give some wonderful feedback and thoughts and kind of, you know, whatever in contacts. Um, but but you know, obviously, puny company. You know, five million in revenue, growing. Uh, how, how, how have you seen smaller companies uh, compensate these people? And have you ever seen a situation where the the board of advisor got some sort of kicker if they brought in comp, you know brought in a uh, you know a, a revenue or something? Because it, it it's yeah had- I have I again once again I don't I don't really like that model. Yes, I've seen it and I've seen it work, but usually they're usually in situations where a company's being built for you know eighteen to 36 months to build a minimal viable product and then either sell the company to a larger competitor to flip it, you know, as much as they can. That's a very transactional, in my point of view, kind of a vulgar way to build a company, right? I'm, I'm sort yep. of an old school in that we build companies <clears throat> because we, we love what we do. We want to run them. 
we want to do something interesting in our, with our lives. So to me, and the way, this is the way we do it in our innovation labs. The first thing I do is the, the way I get around from, from paying people is I ask people when, when we've got a project, what do they want? What do they, is, what do they want from this project? And I make them list three to five things that they want, and then I make them list three to five things they can give so that there's no money on the table. Because at yeah. the very beginning, you know, you, the problem with putting money on the table at the beginning is you get stuck in the planning cycle. And you're no longer making decisions based on what's right for the idea. You're making decisions based on who gets what. You don't, you know, the idea hasn't grown up yet. You've got a, you know, you've got a, an infant. You've got to figure out if this is anything. So at the beginning, by laying out what do you want and what can you bring into this, I call it making stone soup, right? You're going to make stone soup. Yep. At the very beginning, it's very easy to get these people involved. You know, we we have you know we've we've invested in twelve companies as a as a as a fund, and uh, we you know have dabbled in a lot of the things about the boards and so forth. And um, we have literally come down to the fact that from a compensation perspective, it's you know it's it's will cover your travel and some small stipend. And if you're looking for a whole lot more than that, and this is my next question, what's your take on um, you know again without any huge rights or anything about having a, a, you know kind of a, a, these advisors invest in the equity of the company? I, I'm a huge. I think it's. I think it's a great idea to, if they want to invest in the equity of the company. I think it's great, and I think if you start if you start looking even at hiring young people, young people don't want to work for big companies. If you look at the Pew Charitable Trust research, they want to work for small companies. But what they want is they want freedom. They want to make they want to make a difference. They want to have some say in things. Well, there that's a perfect group that's going to want to have the ability to take some of what you would have to pay them. Uh, in, in an equity position. And remember, you know, if you have skin in the game, you're motivated in a whole, in a whole new way, in a whole, much more positive way. Capitalism requires capitalists, right? <laughs> so so no, I, from an old Dutchman, right? That's what you got to hear from an old Dutchman. <laughs> but but I, think, I think what you're saying about getting people involved, can I just add one piece? I'm yes. really tired of all of the... Uh, headlines about Silicon Valley and Brooklyn. And these are two places I've spent a lot of my career in these innovation hubs. People are innovative everywhere. Can we just, can we just put a pin in that? People are innovative <laughs> in Cleveland and in Tulsa, and they're innovative everywhere. And the notion that you can't find innovative people where you're at, you're probably not looking very hard because there's amazing, amazing? people everywhere. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I literally, it's, it's stunning how, uh, you know, these, the, you know, the flyover cities of, you know, of Cleveland and Ann Arbor and, you know, especially, you know, especially Ann Arbor. I mean, you know, they got some, got some pretty smart people, uh, pretty smart people up there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I will say that we, you know, from a, from a compensation perspective, we've literally dug in and just said, look, you know, we're paying this relatively nominal fee, um, but it's about the greater good. If you want to invest in the company, we'd love to have you invest. And we've, you know, we've just found that that's, by, you know, we, we've, we've taken a pass on some very influential people that with some great resumes just because they, they wanted something, you know, much more than that. And let you know, me, sometimes let me... we... Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but let me give you some tricks of the trade about this. Let me give you some yep. things. Let me just for your listeners. So I live in Ann Arbor. <clears throat> I live in the most educated zip code in the United States, right? Here's the thing. This is in the journal a couple weeks ago, right? Here's the thing. You want a super smart person? Anybody who's writing a dissertation, who's doing research, wants what? They want a research site. They'll belong to your advisory board. Why? Because they're going to get a line of sight to write about something. 
right? You, you pick any, all you have to ask yourself, pick any area and ask yourself, what does that person want? And in most cases, it's not money. They want something else. And the issue is, because you're a small business, you have speed and agility on your side. You have freedom on your side. <clears throat> you have a much better ability to give that to them. They don't have to go through 10 layers of lawyers to actually you know, do some research on what you're doing. So these are the kind, of, the kind of things, I think, that the kind of workarounds, I think, that your listeners should be thinking about. No, that's great. That's great. And, 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 I, and I think I picked this up from your last show or one of the articles you wrote. I can't remember when I was kind of getting ready for the show, but you talk about just, and maybe it's in the, in the same tone of, of, of you know, you got to create the time to do this, you know, to create the time to, to find these people. But, you know, you just got to be willing to dial, to dial around and reach out and travel and maybe kind of, you know, maybe talk about, I, I talk about that just a second about just, it's just you got to put that entrepreneurial spirit into, into finding these people. Yeah, and what happens is, and, and I, again, am a total hypocrite here. All of us who have <laughs> built businesses in our life, what we do at some point is the business has now been built. We put in all of our hard work. We ran like crazy people for years. And then we say, well, you know, I kind of know how to do this, and it's all on autopilot until you get another urge to build another business. But what, uh, what I find entrepreneurs miss all the time is they don't have an understudy. They don't have somebody who basically can fill in for them. So you did the last deal, which was $300,000. So the next deal that's $600,000, you have to do, unless you've developed or taken somebody along for that $300,000 deal. That becomes the problem. The problem is the gap between the entrepreneur and the next person. And that's why family businesses fail so miserably after the founder dies and why they can't be sold. Because the X factor isn't the strategy, the X factor isn't the product, the X factor is the relationships, the ability to get things done, the ability to see opportunities. So I I would say one of the biggest things I would add is I would say you need to apprentice people to have an understudy. And one of the other things I would add, if you have a board of advisors, even though people get platooned in and out of your board of advisors, who are the two or three go-to people that you've had for some period of time that have different points of view that are deep and diverse domain experts? that you listen to and have credible advice for you. Yeah, that's great. Well, Jeff, I, uh, you can probably tell I blew through, uh, I blew through the second, third, and now the fourth uh, uh, um, uh, time frame. So um, I'm probably down to about a minute. But uh, I, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed listening to you, yours and your and Jeff's conversation from last year, and, and I was very excited. This topic has been huge for us, and, 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 and I'm, I'm thrilled that <laughs> some of the things you're saying I think aligns with what we've been trying to do. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, in, in, in uh, you know, uh, appreciate all the things you're doing for the small for businesses. Appreciate all the time you're spending with us. And uh, uh, Jeff DeGraff is a, the dean of innovation, a, a professor, author, speaker, and advisor to hundreds of the top organizations in the world. You can learn more about his gra- ground this about his groundbreaking University of Michigan uh, certified professional innovators certificate program, um, and uh, all the more information at www.jeffdegraff.com forward slash CPI. Um, and uh, uh, can again, I add I, one I, quick thing here? Can I add one? Absolutely, quick absolutely. I write a column. I'm one of the columnists for Inc. Magazine. I write a column every week. I take a lot of pride in it, and it's all about yep. small businesses. 
So if, you're, if your listeners are interested in this topic, that's where I would go to, to learn about this. And feel free to, to write me or whatever. I think this is an easy way to get into this. No, that's, that's fantastic, and I'm, I'm embarrassed I didn't know about it. So I, we love Ink Magazine, so I will, and, and we'll have to make sure that Barbara puts that on our website, how to, how to get that, how to get that, uh, that information. Jeff, Beautiful. I appreciate your time. And, and, Thanks and for thank you so on. much for You bet. Thank you very much. Good luck to all your listeners. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everybody. Passion for possibilities. Sorry for running this to the very, very last second. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.